Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be reading verses 8 through 19. And I would ask you, if you are able, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. The Lord says to us, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to that city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise from the dead from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us this morning. You may be seated. Well, as has been mentioned, today is my 54th birthday, not 29. You shouldn't lie in church or anywhere else for that matter. Uh, but it is a sobering milestone for me because my mother died in her 54th year. And having now reached this age, I think now more than ever that is too young to die. It reminds me of the fragility and brevity of life. Even those of you who are in your 90s can testify to the brevity of life. We have a few here today. My mother did die with five grandchildren, and I don't have any yet. I'm just saying, no pressure. Just saying that. If that applies to you, I don't know. I bring this up not to depress everyone, <clears throat> but to remind you of a few things that's being talked about in our text this morning. I want you to think about eternity particularly what is promised to the Christian in eternity. And when we have that eternal perspective on things, it puts this life, whether it's a, a too brief life or whether it's a long, healthy life, whether it's a life fraught with difficulty and pain and suffering or whether it's a, a life of ease, whatever the case, 
eternity uh, puts these things into perspective. We say in the Apostles' Creed that we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. We believe that one day, because Christ rose from the dead, that we too shall rise from the dead and live together with him in the new heavens and the new earth. And the Nicene Creed uh, says this about Jesus. He shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. His kingdom shall have no end. So we will live in that kingdom for eternity. All the kingdoms of the earth, all the nations of the earth will pass away. Uh, the United States will not last forever. Uh, China will not last forever. England, the whole list goes on. These, these entities will not last forever, but Christ's kingdom will last forever. And the Nicene Creed goes on to say, I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Do you believe that? Is that your faith? Are you looking for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come? Is this your faith? This was Abraham's faith, as we've seen in the text before us. He was looking for that city with foundations that God made. He, he was looking uh, for something greater than the promised land that he was dwelling in in a tent. He lived as a stranger in exile on the earth because he knew he had something better and lasting in the future, and that affected the way that he lived in the now. Well, what is, what is being promised here to Christians? We, we've shown the summary of it in the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, but we can go back to probably the most famous verse there is, John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now that word world doesn't just mean everybody. It, means, it doesn't mean less than that, but it, it means the world, all of creation. The cosmos is the, is the Greek word, cosmos. And God so loved the world that he created, a world that was marred by human sin and under a curse for that sin. You remember the words to Adam and Eve and the serpent? That word to Adam said, the cursed is the ground because of you. And uh, the ground's going to bring up thorns and thistles and you'll, you'll tend it with the sweat of your brow. It's going to be difficult. We live in a difficult world that's under a curse. And God loved it so much he didn't want to leave it that way. So he sent his son into the world to deal with the world's problem, which is sin. It's our problem, it's the world's problem. In fact, Paul picks up this theme in Romans 8. Uh, 18 through 24, he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it 
in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Salvation is, is not just for the here and now. Its fullness comes in eternity, in the new heavens and new earth, when we will no longer be in the presence of sin. We will be saved to live there in all of its perfection. That's what Christians believe. That's what we're looking forward to. And if this world disappoints us in light of eternity, we can deal with that. We can deal with that because we have something better and something lasting that's coming for us. Now, in the context of Hebrews, as we've been saying all along, and I continuously remind you of this, that the, the folks to whom the writer of Hebrews has addressed this, this letter or sermon, uh, they, were, they were experiencing a very difficult life because of their Christianity. They were being persecuted for their faith. Back in chapter 10 there, we'll read it in a minute, but uh, they were suffering, going, uh, being thrown in prison, and they were economically suffering, financially suffering, and some of them even had lost their lives in suffering. And it was wearing them down, and they were becoming sluggish, and they were contemplating abandoning the faith altogether because they wanted the good life now. It was not worth it to them anymore. They, they were thinking, you know, we had it great back before we were Christians. It was easier, and we're going back to that easy life. And that's why the writer of Hebrews is writing with such passion, because they're throwing away a future that's better and lasting for something that is not as good and is just temporary. Hebrews 6, 11 through 12 says this, We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope to the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Sounds like a lot, a lot like Hebrews 11, 1. It says there, <clears throat> the full assurance of hope. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And then Hebrews 11 is, is all about those who through faith and patience inherited the promises. People like Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Moses and so forth and so on. And we are to emulate them. They used to be this way. I mentioned Hebrews 10, 32 through 39. He's pointing them back to earlier days Recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And that's key. They had a better possession and abiding one so they could lose their possessions. It was not a big deal because they knew they had something better 
And he goes on, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. He's coming. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And then he gives us these examples here in chapter 11. And we're looking today particularly at Abraham. Abraham was a man of faith. In fact, he's the father of faith, if you will. Um, and <clears throat> he's referring to Genesis 12 specifically. In Genesis 12, it says there that the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Pack it up, Abraham. Leave your family, leave your hometown, and go. I'm not going to tell you where. Just start going. And he did. And that's what verse 8 is referring to. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Isn't that amazing? How many people would go and uh, just start driving out of their driveway, sell their house and drive off and, okay, Lord, do you want me to take a right here or a left? Which way? So Abraham was told to leave his home and his extended family with all the security that that promised. And he obeyed, even though he didn't know where he was going. And he went into an uncertain future with nothing but the promise of God. And that's important. God calls us to go into an uncertain future. We don't know what the future brings, but we have the promises of God. And we have a promise of a future that's better and abiding. Well, he did make it to the promised land. <clears throat> but the text tells us that even though <clears throat> he lived in the promised land, he lived there as a foreigner. Uh, he... he was temporary. He dwelt in tents. He didn't lay down a foundation of a house and build it up and, and create a, a nice spot for he and Sarah and their family. He never did that. He dwelt in a tent. He moved around. He never owned any of it. Verse 9, by faith he went to live in a land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents, with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And not only was he promised land, he was promised descendants, right? Enough to make a great nation. And he had to wait a long time for that, 25 years before Isaac was born from the first time that he received that promise. I mean, he was already an old man, and then you had to wait 25 more years for the promise to come true. And then when he finally did have Isaac, after the promise was fulfilled, the Lord told him to sacrifice Isaac. And he did. Look at verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he did. Why? He considered, verse 19, that God was able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. The, the promises weren't threatened because he 
believed God. He knew that God would be faithful to his promise. And whatever God would ask him to do, even though it seems crazy to him, he did it. That's faith. Faith in the promises that God can raise the dead. We have an even greater assurance of that because our Savior Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, as it says in the New Testament. And whatever we do in our lives, whatever God calls us to do, no matter how dangerous or crazy or nonsensical it might seem to us, God will raise his people up to a better and lasting inheritance. Now, Abraham obviously wasn't motivated by the physical promises of the land and the descendants. Verse 10 tells us he was looking forward to that city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He was looking forward to heaven, to the new heavens and new earth. Abraham knew that all this world had to offer is no solid or lasting foundation. It didn't offer him security or meaning. His family and home in Haran, was, he was able to leave and, and go. He knew not where. He lived in temporary dwellings in the promised land because he knew this was not his permanent home. He could have found his significance in, in life and in the joy of having a child, but he did not. When God told him to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice, he did because he trusted what God had promised for the future. God said he was going to create a great nation through him, therefore he must be going to raise Isaac from the dead. So he was not distracted by even the best things the world has to offer. He was looking forward to something greater. That promised city was what he looked to because he remembered that city has foundations. Jesus said something interesting about Abraham in John 8, 56. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. He was looking for it. He was waiting for it. And it came and he rejoiced. And that promised land is the city Jesus spoke about in John 14. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Our Savior has gone before us to prepare a place for us. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. That nation that was promised to Abraham are all who put their trust in Jesus. We sing the song, Father Abraham had many sons. Now, most of us who sing that are not Jewish. We're not literally descendants of Abraham, but we are by faith descendants of Abraham. Galatians 3 Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham, even Gentiles. So Abraham, and all these promises, he was not looking to just the earthly fulfillment, but to the ultimate fulfillment in the new heavens and new earth. And he knew that that was coming through Christ and he rejoiced in the Messiah. Now, the audience, as we said before, of the book of Hebrews were considering going back to Haran, if you will. 
You know, Abraham could have gotten frustrated and then gone back to his hometown, but he never did. But these people were, were tempted to go back to Haran. They were going back to their old lives and leaving Christianity because following Jesus was difficult in their days. It is difficult in our day. It's becoming increasingly difficult, as we see. And those people wanted instant security their former lives offered them. Now, we don't have to face a choice. The problem we have is that we can live in mediocrity. We can get caught up in the materialism of the day and the here and now and the, the tyranny of the urgent in our lives, and we can forget eternity and what's really important. And that's what we need to be cautious about because when we lose sight of eternity and the promises of God for the future, we lose our hope and we start putting our hope in the things of this world. Hope in our bank accounts, our hope in our uh, government, hope in our health, hope in our family. The list is, is endless, of the things that we can hope in in the here and now. But God is calling us, the writer of Hebrews is calling us, Jesus calls us to set our sights on things above, uh, on, the, on the promises that he has for the future. Jesus said, lay up treasures in heaven, not on earth where moth and rust destroy. Lay them up in heaven that, where they're eternal. I read an article a few years ago from Carl Truman <clears throat> And he's, he's talking in this article about how our culture is all about entertainment. We're an entertainment-driven culture. Entertainment, he says, is not simply a part of our world. It is arguably the dominant essence of our world. To use philosophical jargon, entertainment is now ontology. And ontology is a big word. I had to look it up. So, um, Ontology is the study of, of creation or uh, why things are the way they are, the reasons behind things. It's metaphysics. It's uh, you know, way up there, philosophical stuff. But what he's saying there is that entertainment has become our reason for being. It's all there is. We live in Xanadu. Now, Xanadu, uh, it was a, a palace or a, a city, actually, in Mongolia during the reign of Kublai Khan. And it was uh, a, pleasure, a pleasurable place. It was a beautiful palace, and it had all kinds of rivers around it. And it was a pleasant place for Kublai Khan to live in uh, June, July, and August. Maybe he was like the original snowbird. And he fled there for the pleasant atmosphere and weather. Samuel Coleridge Taylor immortalized this in uh, a poem called Kublai Khan. And he coined that term pleasure dome that Kublai Khan created Xanadu, a pleasure dome for himself. Uh, Marco Polo visited there. And in his travel log, he records the beauty of the place. And so... Uh, Xanadu has come to symbolize something that is exotic and pleasurable and uh, just a, a place almost like heaven. Well, Truman goes on, he says, uh, We live in Xanadu 
within the confines of a stately pleasure dome of our own making. We have an economy that is significantly dependent upon the production and consumption of entertainment, a society where men who play children's playground games are lionized and paid more than the president, and a world where technology is not simply a tool but one of the structuring principles of our very existence and our ways of life right down to the most mundane details. We're all about pleasure and entertainment, you know. Sports, that's entertainment. Uh, Movies, we are surrounded by the beach, casinos. These are all things for people's pleasure and gratification. And then he goes on to ask, how can the church, church assert the truth of the gospel, an exclusive truth which makes demands in the present because of promises which will be fulfilled only in the future? in a world predicated on consumer options, entertainment, and instant gratification. See, it's hard for us because we are immersed in a culture that is all about instant gratification. You've been in the line at the fast food place and some guy's on his horn, you know, honking because his burger takes five minutes. He couldn't go home and cook one in five minutes. What's he all up in arms about? He ought to be thankful. But we're used to getting it now. I want it now. I want the promises of God now. Well, that's not what God has promised. He's promised something wonderful in the future, beyond this life, beyond this world in which we live. And that truth of the gospel makes demands on us in the present, but it's based on promises that will, which will only be ultimately fulfilled in the future. So we can live if we trust those promises through suffering, through the injustices of life because we know we've got something coming that is lasting, something that's abiding, something that is permanent, something that is beyond our imagination. So in conclusion, uh, just by way of some application, we need to first of all recognize that we are strangers and exiles on the earth. This world is not our home. That's what he says in Verse 13, these all died in faith. We want to be those who die in faith. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. That's what they did. It's easy to get comfortable here on planet earth. We need to remember we're strangers and we're exiles. We're in the world, but not of the world. Desire that better country. Have a taste for that better country with foundations that's prepared by the Lord. That's verse 16. They desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. God has prepared something for us. And then let's do what's written here. First of all, Abraham obeyed. God called him, he obeyed. It didn't seem to make much sense or have much direction, but he obeyed because he trusted the Lord. And we read about Sarah, who considered him faithful, who promised when she was barren all of her life and she was way beyond the years of childbearing, yet she continued to consider God faithful, that God had promised something and he was going to deliver it, even when it seemed impossible. That's the kind of faith we're called to have as we walk this earth, that 
as crazy as these promises may seem to us, consider him faithful who promised that he will deliver what he has promised. And consider, thirdly, that God raises the dead. God raises the dead. Christ rose from the grave. We will rise from the grave. Our souls will be reunited with our bodies, and we will live forever in the new heavens and new earth out of the, out of the presence of sin and the brokenness and the curse that's on this earth. That's what we're living for. And that makes a difference in the way we live today. We want to be those who are so heavenly-minded that we are of the most earthly good. The best citizens of the United States are the people who are the best citizens of the kingdom of God. Keep those things in mind. We're about to sing hymn number 234. I invite you to turn with me there. This is the God of Abraham praise. I just wanted to point out a few things to us as we want to sing this and rejoice in what the Lord has promised us. Verse 2, 234. The God of Abraham prays, at whose supreme command from earth I rise and seek the joys at his right hand. I all on earth forsake its wisdom, fame, and power, and him my only portion make, my shield and tower. I invite you to sing that with faith, with believing that, with making that your commitment. To make the Lord your only portion. Verse 3. He by himself has sworn, I on his oath depend. I shall on eagle's wings upborne to heaven ascend. I shall behold his face. I shall his power adore and sing the wonders of his grace forevermore. Verse 4. The goodly land I see with peace and plenty blessed, a land of sacred liberty and endless rest, there milk and honey flow, and oil and wine abound, and trees of life forever grow with mercy crowned. There dwells the Lord our King, the Lord our righteousness, triumphant o'er the world and sin, the Prince of Peace. On Zion's sacred height, his kingdom he maintains, and glorious with his saints in light forever reigns. The whole triumphant host gives thanks to God on high. Hail! Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, they ever cry. Hail Abraham's God and mine. I join the heavenly lays. A lay is a song. I join in the heavenly song. All might and majesty are thine in endless praise. God has wonderful promises for you today. Have you embraced those promises? Are you putting your trust in what God has promised? Are you, are you coming to him, uh, recognizing you're a sinner and, and clinging to the redemption that is in Christ and as, as your Savior, uh, are you looking forward to all that God has for those who come to faith in Christ? If so, uh, let that sink into your life and live accordingly to God's glory. Let's sing hymn number 234, The God of Abraham.